Thanks for listening to another episode of Hold Up the Book. I'm in a series of podcasts right now about how to teach effective Bible classes at your church for adults. And so today I'm going to continue that. This is part two of that little session. If you didn't catch last week's, there's some good foundational advice and some good thoughts there, hopefully, about the importance of why Bible classes matter. But in this one, I want to be talking mostly about some more of that advice about how to prep for a great Bible class and how to teach one. And so I'm glad that you're tuning in to listen here. I realized after the last episode that I'm operating off of an assumption which may or may not be correct. And that assumption is that your class participants, anytime you're teaching, are all generally at the same starting level of Bible knowledge. Now, why does that make any difference to assume that or not assume that? I think that it makes a difference because the way that we approach certain classes is going to be different based on the needs of the people who are in that class. And so it's important for us to kind of have a sense of that when we start off because in most churches, I would venture to say in pretty much all churches, you're going to have varying levels of Bible knowledge and spiritual maturity in any given class that you teach. And so some people in there have the basics and nothing more. Some people in there have a a lot of Bible knowledge, and therefore they need a greater emphasis on the depth of Scripture or uh, deeper insights into things that can really affect their minds and hearts because they don't need to be told again the narratives and the events and the sayings. They need to understand what those mean and the deeper impact. But then I'm finding more recently that our churches are sometimes composed of more people than we realize who don't have a basic understanding of the faith, and they would be blessed to have an opportunity where they can get a handle on the basics. Sometimes stuff is going way over their heads, and we would do better to talk to them in a way that helps them. And so I just wanted to kind of throw that assumption out there and put it out in front of this discussion to make sure and clarify that what I'm talking about in these sessions is mostly about covering the basis for people who are from somewhere in the middle of that spectrum to the more knowledgeable end of that spectrum. And we're going to try to circle back to talk about maximizing the effectiveness of classes for those who are on the more basic end of things. I'll try to do that in a future episode because there's no shame in that. And I think it's very important for churches to offer something that feeds the souls of those people as well. But for today... Again, just wanted to get the assumption out into the open and kind of make sure that I'm aware of it and that I'm speaking uh, that I'm speaking in a way that shows my awareness of that um, so that we can just pick up where we left off last time, which is giving some more advice for prepping for Bible class and then some advice for actually running the class sessions in a way that it'll be helpful for those, again, who are in the middle of that spectrum toward the more knowledgeable end of that spectrum. So, Here is the next piece of advice for how to get ready for your Bible classes and make good on the preparation that you do going into that. One thing that I think probably goes against conventional wisdom, but it's something that I care about and it's something that I do in terms of how I do Bible classes and how I teach, is I don't usually assign homework. I I assign readings, yes, But questions to reflect on the readings, worksheets to get ready for stuff, that much I usually don't do. And I know that goes against conventional wisdom, but my reasons are that I find find that those kind of 
preparation activities, trying to get people to think through and, and answer questions and finish a worksheet or do a workbook. I find that trying to get people to do that ahead of time makes them feel more awkward for having forgotten when they show up to class and don't have those things done. It gives them it gives them more feelings of awkwardness than a feeling of preparation and a feeling of solidarity with the material because when it comes time to participate in the discussion, they're overcome with the sense of panic that they haven't finished what they were assigned to do. And I know that sounds like having lower expectations of people, but I don't think it is. In this case, I think it's just something that I can do that's to be that is an effort to be friendly to those who are listening and learning from me. So one thing I will always do, if it's a textual class, is give reading assignments from the Bible. But as far as homework beyond that, I have rarely found that to be helpful as a participant in class, and I don't find that the insights from the people who have done the worksheets are usually that much better than the ones who come and answer questions on the fly. I usually find that if I ask the right kind of questions, everybody benefits from just having read the text and being asked to reflect on that in the class. So I don't usually give homework to help in preparation ahead of time any more than just a reading assignment from the Bible. Now that said, one thing that I try to do really well is plan out the questions that I'm going to ask in a given class. And so that's the second piece of advice for today is plan the questions that you're going to ask and do those in a very deliberate way so that it helps the maximum number of people to take in these concepts. I try to ask questions that are open-ended or that can be answered in a multitude of different ways, at least with different choices of words, because I want my people to be thinking and I want them to be able to answer in their own words without feeling the need to pursue exactly the choice of words that I wanted or that I thought were best. Um, and so along the way, I'll try to plan out ahead of time, like at strategic moments, where's a question? what's a question that I can ask right here that kind of summarizes the last five minutes of what we've been talking about? Or uh, what's a question that I can ask right here that will help to drive the implications and the applications of this concept into people's hearts so that they'll live it out and, and really value that in an important way going forward? Um, I try to make sure that I've got some sort of questions planned because I've, I'm not very good at making them up on the spot. I'm not very good at asking insightful questions along the way. But if I make the time in my preparation work uh, to find out what those questions are going to be, to plan those out, to actually write them down, then I find that I get really good participation and really good insights from the class participants when I take the time to ask those good questions in the class. I also think it's important that you make applications in a class. And so this is piece of advice number three is think ahead about what are some applications of what you can of what you learn in a Bible class that will help people live a better lives, uh, that will help people live better lives. I um I know that there are some people who don't believe that's what it's that's what Bible class is for. Um, I've heard it said that Bible class is just for learning what the Bible says. Sermons are the place to learn how to live. And to be perfectly honest, I disagree with that. I think that Bible class is the perfect place for applications because it teaches your people that the Bible, not just their church and not just their preacher, is where they find out what to, how to live their lives and what they should do. It teaches them to depend on God and his word for spiritual guidance and motivation, not just on the preacher and the church for what they hear in an assembly on Sunday. 
I think making applications in Bible class helps them to be able to go to the Bible and do that themselves and become better Christians because of it. Um, You don't want to force it, but I do think it's important to remember to make some applications along the way when those are appropriate. And then final piece of advice in preparation for a class, kind of one that ties all of those other pieces of advice together, is find an arc that the class's thoughts can follow. And what I mean by that is kind of think about the storyline of any given narrative that is common in our culture, and you'll realize there's a certain arc to the character and to the emotions that go into that story. And if you can find a way to make your classes follow some sort of deliberate arc in following the emotions and helping people track and helping um, just to, to make sure that that at strategic points and then there's a deliberate you know, purpose to how we're pushing this class and these thoughts through, I think you'll find that those classes will be way more effective for your people. Let me just give you a specific example so you know what I mean by this. When you think of a Cinderella story, the character's arc starts off really great. Everything is at the top, you know, and, and everything is going really well for that character. But then near the beginning of the story, we fall from that high point to where it's a very difficult life and something has gone wrong to bring that character way down to the bottom of the story arc. And the struggles through the difficulties, they continue through a big part of the story. It's just difficulty after difficulty, low end after low end until something catapults them back up high right at the end. And that's where we finish the story because we love happy endings. And that's the arc. It starts high, goes low, stays there a while, and catapults high at the end. Another version Same type of thought process, but another version of it. You take a hero story, and a lot of times a hero, at least in the modern way of thinking about it, starts off at the low point of the story arc. They're struggling to climb and be recognized as the good guy that they are, and then somewhere along the way, they're gaining notoriety and gaining opportunities to do great things, and they do something where the story peaks And so we started off low, we've gradually gone up, the story peaks, and they do something truly incredible, and as the movie or the book is ending, things sort of settle back down into a nice happy ending where all the loose ends are tied up and everybody can go away feeling good. I think that you can find ways to let your Bible class thought processes do the same sort of thing, that you can start off knowing exactly where this is going to go so that you can trace that arc and follow those emotional uh, ebbs and flows all the way through your class. So that if you're teaching a text, find ways that the narrative or the thought process rises and falls and try to demonstrate that rising and falling so that your class participants can stay engaged with it and feel that it's going somewhere the whole time. Uh, Not too long ago, I was teaching the story arcs of King Saul and King David through the books of First and Second Samuel, and it, I found that it really helped my class to follow along if I actually drew out the arc of each one of their stories. That, you know, Saul starts off down at the low end as a nobody, and he climbs because God's faithfulness to him and God's kindness to him. He climbs to his peak where he's doing well, but then very quickly the story starts to turn south, and it just trends all the way down until he dies essentially as a deranged lunatic. But at the same time, as, he is, as his story arc is going down, David's is rising because God is being faithful to him and David is being faithful to God and everything's going really well. And David peaks at some point and then he comes down 
You know, there's a couple of there are a couple of major sins in his life that really bring the story back down, and his story doesn't cap off at the top. It sort of settles back down into a place where you're not a hundred percent sure what to think of David anymore. And I think just following those story arcs can help people to track and to feel engaged with the story all the way through so that they see the value in this, that they see the humanity of these characters, that they see the purposes of God behind the humanity of these characters, and just all different sorts of things like that can be the result of us doing our best to lead people through a thought process or a narrative that sort of has an emotional arc to it. And so I hope that you can think about a good, healthy way to do that with whatever you're getting ready to teach next. The final piece of advice that I want to give here on preparing for class is very simple, and yet I saved it for last because I think it's the most important component of all of this, and I think it's probably the most overlooked component of all of this too, and that is one word, pray. If you have not prayed for wisdom and for good insight and for a good skill in teaching God's word, then you're missing a golden opportunity to really, truly do this well. So, just make sure that before you go live with whatever you're teaching, in the whole process of preparation, in the whole process leading up to getting ready to teach, that you pray for God's will to be done, for His wisdom to be in you, and for His people to be blessed by what you do. So, those are my pieces of advice for how to prepare for a Bible class. Let's talk a little bit about how to run a Bible class so that we get to a point where the maximum learning can take place among the people who are listening. Okay, I'm using my best judgment on the ways to do that here, and I'll tell you what I think is the most helpful, and hopefully it will be that for you. So just a handful of quick pieces of advice. Number one, learn from your people. In terms of how to run a Bible class, if you find that it's not being effective the way you're doing it, then change something. Ask some people in your church. Ask some people who are regular attenders to your classes what would help them more. And if you find something that you can do that would help them more, then do it. If it's a more sober group, then find that out and learn to be more sober in the way you handle class. If they're more relaxed, then find that out and find ways to do that as, as a way to handle your class. If they're more energetic and more interactive, then learn how to work with that so that you can keep the focus of the group and you can teach them. But the point is, reinvent continuously. Always be looking for ways that you can do a better job. Advice number two on running a Bible class. Start with prayer. I usually start with some sort of introduction to that day's material, like some sort of anecdote or song lyric or discussion question to get people engaged from the minute they're in there. But as soon as that has run its course, I always take time to pause and say a prayer for God to bless our minds with the power to learn, to bless the teacher with insight to teach, and to bless all of us to walk more closely with Christ as a result of what we're learning that day. And then the second thing is, I try to make sure that I'm asking good questions. Again, I said this a little while ago, I think you need to plan those out, and I think you need to be strategic about the timing and the quality of those questions. But I find that a perfect question has two elements. Number one, it will get people to think and then speak the truth with their own voices and their own choice of words. And then number two, the perfect question to ask in a group setting, to me, is one that it's possible to answer in several different ways with slightly different vocabulary that can all still be correct. So, for example, 
when you're studying a passage like John chapter 1 and the intro to that gospel, and you get to verse 14 that says, The Word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us, a good question might be, why does the Spirit use a word that connects with the Israelites' tabernacle when he describes Jesus' coming to earth? And people are going to be able to answer that in a handful of different ways, and if you listen carefully, you'll realize they're answering with good insights. I make sure that if people do offer a perspective that is right, even if it's not exactly the way you would have said it, that you validate that. I don't think it's healthy if somebody answers a question in a way that's all out wrong that we would validate that. Just for example, if you're asking who was Moses' wife and somebody answers Priscilla, just tell them they're wrong. Okay, not this time, that's not correct. But if you ask a question that's why something, like why would God use that word about Jesus is coming to be among us, then you can expect a few people will word their answers a little differently, and yet they'll all be right. And it's a good idea to validate that and tell them I appreciate their insight in some way so that it encourages the discussion to continue going in a positive direction. The next piece of advice here for running a class, work with your people's actual abilities. And I know that that's difficult, and that's something that you have to constantly adjust to over time. But try not to assume that your people know more than they do, and try not to assume that they know less than they do. Figure out how much they can handle, and do your best to lift them up to a higher level without having to drag them kicking and screaming into deeper Bible knowledge. Um, I always lean toward giving my class more intellectual credit, because I pretty much always know when I'm teaching a group that there are going to be some great Bible students in there and that they need something a little bit deeper and that they can handle the deeper thoughts of the things of God. So I always lean toward giving them a little bit more intellectual credit, but I always try to also be aware that I may have those among the group who are struggling to keep up. And I try to make sure that I can bring them along too and that everybody is learning something that will help them in their walk with God. I also think it's important once in a while that if you're going to cover ground that you know is tedious to some people or is difficult for some people, that you warn them ahead of time that we're about to do this and it will be worth the work, but I'm going to need you to hang on that even if this is tough or difficult or tedious or a little bit boring sometimes, hang on and it will be worth it for what we get out of it because this is the word of God and it has much to speak to us. And so Just giving people a heads up when you're going into a section like that can be super helpful for them. It gives credibility to where you are and to where they are, and it helps everybody to realize we're in this and doing this together. All right, last one for today is when someone speaks up and they offer their insights or their perspective or they ask questions or they're answering your questions, listen to those people. I think that Bible class should be a conversation. It should be a conversation that you're leading, but it doesn't mean that you're monopolizing that conversation. And so I highly recommend, strongly advise, that when people speak up, you make eye contact and listen to what they're saying. Don't just be thinking about what you're going to say next. Be thinking about what they're offering and what they've said and how how the impact of what they're saying is going to ring in the people's ears who are hearing it. Even if the comment doesn't line up just right with the way that you're thinking, you'll often realize just how thoughtful and intelligent and biblically informed your people are when you take the time to listen to their insights into life 
and into the Word. It's really important, and this is where I think so many of us, when we're teaching, we lose our audiences. It's really important that we pay attention to what they've said and how they've said it, and we hear them and their insights, and not just that we see them as a means to an end, that end being what we wanted to say. We listen to them because the conversation is helping us all to take in the Word of God uh, in a more effective and more powerful and, and more engaging kind of way that makes us better saints. Those are just some pieces of advice that I have found to work for me. They may not work the same for everybody as they do for me, and obviously I understand that. But I think if we can learn to implement some of these ideas, that will, they'll help us go a long way in making better use of our time in Bible classes and making that opportunity truly golden Because I said in the last episode, I think Bible class is a golden opportunity to drive discipleship among a church family. And if we can do that in a better way, then we're really maximizing that opportunity and making good on the Word as God has given it to us. And so I hope that these are helpful tips for you as you do your best to hold up the book for the people who hear you teach. And I hope that through our efforts together, all of God's people everywhere are living more for His glory and shining brighter with His light. Good luck holding up the book. Do your best and give God the glory, and we'll talk to you next time.